Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to the Movies Podcast for October. Coming up, we discuss the latest news, look at the UK and US cinema top tens, review Dread 3D at the cinema, and the Universal Horror Box set on Blu-ray. So joining me on the movies podcast tonight is Chris McAnini, Mark Botwright, and Stephen Withers. Good evening, guys. Good evening. Evening, Phil. Evening, Phil. So let's kick off some movie news. Uh, not a lot to talk about this month, actually. And uh, surprisingly, um, <laughs> we're going to talk about a film that we haven't spoken about before on the podcast ever, and that's The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, it's coming out in Blu-ray on the 4th of December. And the interesting thing here, Steve, is that Christopher Nolan's first film is also coming out in December. Yeah, on the 11th of December. Now, this is a Criterion release, so it's in the US only. But it is uh, it is his first movie, following which he shot on a shoestring budget over weekends, basically, with friends. Um, you know, it's, it's his first effort. It's black and white. I think it's shot on 16 mil. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, so it's yeah, got no IMAX. <laughs> yeah, no, no IMAX scenes. But what's interesting, I have seen it uh, before, and it's never been on Blu-ray before, so that's quite good. And obviously, he's got a commentary track, and he's overseen the transfer and that kind of stuff. But, but having seen it, uh, you know, a lot of the themes that he uses in later films are all there in following. You know, it's got this sort of um, the non-linear uh, progression of the story. Uh, it's got certain twists and plot, you know, plot twists and things like that in it. Uh, characters' motives become different. It's, it, uh, it really does lead straight into memento in terms of uh, pl- in terms of structure and and um so yeah i mean even back then even with his first film even when he was making it on you know on a shoestring budget with friends he was you could see the talent was already there um and and so you know if anyone's thinking of getting it i, I would recommend it strongly because I, I do think it's worth watching it is an interesting film uh you know it is rewarding and it is it's really you know genuinely exciting to see a, a new talent like that you know with their first movie sort of finding their way in in, in terms of cinema that's a got a man in it who dresses as a bat do you know what? There's and a scene where he goes. Like there's a scene where a guy goes to a guy's uh, apartment, and on his front door is the bat symbol. <laughs> Has that for no coincidence? Way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Has he just put that in after the fact? You think? No, no, it was actually. Are you that. sure? Yeah, because uh, I've got the DVD from before he even made Batman begin. So massive coincidence there. <laughs> and of course, Chris, uh, Dark Knight Rises. You'll be looking forward to getting the Blu-ray and watching it a bit more. <laughs> I'm sick of the Dark Knight. It's an official statement now from Chris McAnini, the biggest fan of the Batman saga, of Batman the character. I saw that film too many times, and I don't mind if I don't see it for quite some time to come. Am I going to get it day one on Blu-ray? You bet your ass I am. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's coming. When's it coming out? 4th of, uh, 4th of December. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. There's a lot more stuff on this release, isn't there, than there has been on the previous ones. Am I right? There's lots of documentaries yeah, and there's a featurettes. Big long documentary about the making of the film and stuff like that. A lot more, lot more uh, background stuff. Background. Well, uh, that's going to make it a bit more tasty then. Is he doing a commentary on this one as well? Uh, did he do a commentary? He didn't do a commentary on. on he didn't do on the previous two, but you're just saying he's done a commentary on uh, that first. He's done, movie. Well, he's done. A, he did a commentary on following. He's done commentaries before. He did them on uh, Insomnia and Memento. 
um, I think Prestige as well. So he normally does a commentary, but for some reason he hasn't done commentaries on the Batman movies, and I'm not quite sure why. I want Christian Bale to do a commentary on him in the Batman oh, yeah. voice. <laughs> Wreck your soul buffer, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I've seen him being interviewed like with an American accent. You're Welsh, for God's sake. Stop, stop putting on accents when you're not on camera. I See, another thing as well, like ages and ages ago, and he did The Machinist, um, I was really raving and saying, that he was about to do the first Batman, Batman Begins, and I was like reviewing The Machinist, and I was saying, this guy's going to be awesome, he's going to be, and, he, and lo and behold, he was, and I was saying, he's the, one of the greatest actors, most intense actors, most versatile of actors, you know, at, around at the moment, and <laughs> I got sick of him as well. Terminator Salvation, God, I wanted to kill him. He just so, so annoyed me in that, because um, he was just purely came across as one note and then of course he did the fighter and he was brilliant in that so i don't know there's swings around about with this guy um he's a I'm, talented actor but you wouldn't want to hang out with him would you he sounds like a oh good no he, he's too too jittery too on edge too guarded too oh i don't know too everything <laughs> and i'm his biggest fan <laughs> so mark are you going to be rushing out to buy both of these on blu-ray um yeah i'll probably pick them up um it's the kind of thing that i think it, it suits uh Blu-ray, you can kind of pour over the the visual quality, and and you know perhaps you know people like Chris might get a bit sick of them, but you know as he says, you'll still pick them up. It's still a, a great disc to have, no doubt. I'm not getting the first one. I have no interest in that one. Sorry. Following. Yeah. Oh, you should. It's a really good. Movie. I mean, I, I wasn't interested in Inception either. That didn't that didn't get me at all. The Prestige, I thought was terrific. Loved it. Although I sussed it right from the way I go. I hate to add, but you know, didn't affect my enjoyment of the movie. That's that's the thing. That's the, that's the funny thing with Christopher Nolan is the fact that you know he does explore a lot of the same themes, and so therefore, when yeah. it comes to something like The Prestige, you know that there's going to be a twist coming. You know there's likely to be something that's hidden out in the open, and he's going to follow, you know, a lot of the same things. And, and so, in a way, you can kind of use that as a stick with which to beat him. But um, you know, Scorsese kept on exploring, you know, Italian American life and the like. So. You know, I, I think there's he's certainly one of the big directors out there. And if, perhaps because there's this kind of vacuum at the moment where there's there's no one's really bridging that gap between what's what's popular and, and what's, you know, kind of heartfelt and what's well thought out, what's slick. Um, I, I don't know if following really needs to be coming out on Blu-ray, um, but the rest of his films, I, I definitely think, you know, you've you've got to own them. And let's not forget that there's also talk of this guy possibly uh, taking on the mantle of doing a James Bond movie at some point. I mean, he quite clearly wants to. He's actually said he wants to. And, you know, he's had the stylistic touches thrown into particularly Inception, hasn't he? So, uh, you know, he could move on to that sort of genre as well. Yeah, Inception yeah. is, in many ways, is kind of, if you strip away the the, the kind of weird sci-fi kind of psycho babble element to it. it it's basically a heist thriller and that's really what you know some of the best bond moments are those kind of orchestrated scenes of you know big set pieces and the like either escaping somewhere or gaining entry to somewhere and an inception had that in absolute spades yeah so yeah. what i was going to say was on, on a technical note um unfortunately the dark knight rises blu-ray as with the dark knight blu-ray uh will have the imax scenes in uh, 16 to 9 ratio 
so it'll be chopping and changing between 2.35 to 1 and 16.9, which I hate with a vengeance. But luckily, I can mask my screen um, top and bottom, so it won't bother me. But uh, I think it's a total gimmick, and I wish they wouldn't do it. Or at least give you the option to, you know, yeah. to watch it. In its so that would be the best way, yeah, to give you the option for it. I don't mind it so much. Um, it's not that jolting. Although there's a fair bit more in uh, Dark Knight Rises than there was in Batman, sorry, The Dark Knight. So you might find it a bit more jarring this time around. But no, I, I kind of got used to it. That's if I bother watching it again anyway. <laughs> I think the big, the big question, less about the picture quality, but will many people find Bane hard to understand? What this, what's the sound mix going to be like? Because some people just really just didn't tune into into the voice and just couldn't understand anything. Other people found it perfectly intelligible, and it seems to to depend on you know what cinema you you viewed it in and, and various other factors. You know, I just wonder whether they might end up slightly tweaking that for the home release. They, they could well do. I saw it in two separate cinemas, um, but several times a piece, and I had no difficulty at all with this dialogue. None whatsoever, but I know people who saw it. <clears throat> one particular showing that I went to with a couple of mates, uh, one of them couldn't understand what he was saying. Uh, but I think it's just, I think he just didn't want to. I think some people didn't like the way that his voice was done, the accent that he used, and they found it a bit too alienating and off putting, and then just kind of dismissed every dialogue scene that he had from that point onwards. But there were definitely some people in some cinemas that, that didn't present it very well. And uh, they're quite well uh, documented on the forums, aren't they? But uh, I, I can imagine it's going to be a lot clearer on the, on the Blu-ray anyway, in your home setup. Yeah, just turn your centre speaker up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was from the, the technical guru amongst us. Yeah, yeah. You're, not to, you're not meant to do that, but yeah, that do the trick. Master, master of calibration. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that's two films, uh, Christopher Nolan, coming out in December. Let's move on. Let's go to the box office. We did this last month. Uh, and things have all changed around since then. So, Chris, why don't you take us through the UK box office? OK, popcorn pickers, let's let's cast our eyes over what's happening in the UK box office right now. At number one, we have Paranorman taking five million. This is, is a, obviously, it's a kid's um, horror story, a uh, bit anarchic. Zombies are in there. I can't believe it's number one because I, I it didn't get particularly striking reviews that I saw, and I know people who've... Took their kids to see it, and no one seemed to like it. But anyway, what do I know? At number two, we've got Killing Them Softly. Uh, what's that? Oh, it's just, it's just been Cass, reviewed Cass by Cass. Just, just reviewed that, didn't he? It's directed uh, by Brad Andrew Pitt Dominic. One. Yeah, yeah, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt Andrew one. Dominic, who made one of my favourite films of the last ten years, which is The Assassination of Jesse James by the Cow Robert Ford. Uh, uh, I've got to say, I am really looking forward to this. Uh, you know, uh, he made Chopper as well. Uh, which I also loved. So um, for me, Brad Pitt and Andrew Dominic together again, I'm I'm actually genuinely looking. It's got, it looks like it's got a really interesting cast. Mm. Uh, I saw the trailer actually before Dread, and uh, and it looked uh, yeah, it looked really good. Uh, basically about a hitman um, looking for the mob. No, but, another but, uh, one about a hitman. Because <laughs> we don't uh, get enough but, of those, do we? But uh, it looked uh, it looked good. It looked really good. Uh, number three, the house at the end of the street taking one million. The new film from Jennifer Lawrence again. I don't know what that is. What is it's that? A, kind of a horror film. Which is, I think it's a horror film, and I don't know it. Yeah, I, I'm surprised. Folks, I think I should leave this podcast immediately and go and do some homework. At number four, we have the Sweeney. Hey, five million, and um, a little quote here: "Get your trousers on, you're nicked." Uh, only do it in a, obviously a Cockney accent, which I obviously can't do. Uh, anyone seen that? 
No, but I got to admit, I'm utterly sick of that one-trick pony Ray Winston. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't. I, can't yet, I, I loved him in Scum like 30 years ago, but I can't stand the sight. I, I totally agree with you, and I really was against this movie. But I've got to say, I do want to see it. It's kind of the more trailers I've seen, instead of getting really turned off and sickened and bored by it, I've kind of got more enamoured by it. And you've got uh, Plan B in there as well. So uh, you know, you're like. Oh, he's a pop star, a rapper, God, you know, he's, he's not going to make a you know, good show of this one. But this is a filmmaker as well. He's directed his own stuff. Uh, and you've got a big shootout on Trafalgar Square, something that's never been done before. So I, I, I don't know. I just haven't got around to seeing it. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I probably will do at some point. And number five, Hope Springs, taking three million, a romantic comedy with Meryl Streep. Hmm. There's, there's fans of this type of thing, and you know who you are, and go and see it if you so desire. At number six, Anna Karenina, taking six million. Joe Wright's new film, and it's Keira Knightley, isn't it? And somebody yeah. else. Is yeah. it Jude Law Jude in there? Law, well? Jude Law, yeah. Mm. Is it another flat performance from uh, Keira? Oh, hey, she was in town lately. They were filming, um, oh, God, Jack Ryan in Liverpool, right outside my building for uh, four nights. Not last week, the week before. To me, they made all the streets look like they were Russia. <laughs> And they actually flooded. <laughs> they, they, they flooded exchange flags one night uh, to make it look like it was completely, utterly, obviously a downpour. <laughs> it absolutely hammered down for three or four nights anyway. So I don't know why they bothered doing that. But uh, yeah, and they filmed it in Birkenhead as well, where my wife works. And so yeah, Hollywood came to town. It was lovely. Didn't see anything apart from the um, the cafeteria and the canteen truck and lots and lots of lighting trailers and you know. Um, Grips or whatever you call it, people, you know, people who carry stuff around, lots of them. Didn't see Branner, didn't see um, Kira. But anyway, there you go. That was there. Uh, and number seven, Brave, Pixar's one. Taking 34 mil. Um, you've got a Blu-ray release of that on the 13th of November, so that's coming up very soon. Uh, this isn't too bad, Brave, to be honest. Uh, it's not Pixar's best, but my God, it looks beautiful. It really does. I mean, if you thought the fair on, you know, Sully... In Monsters Inc. Um, and you know, head on Mrs. Incredible, who I still adore, it's the sexiest pixelated woman I've ever seen in my life. And uh, yeah, this is this is great. The, the animation's superb. Story's a bit wishy-washy. Cast, you're not really getting the full flavour. I mean, Billy Connolly's in there, and I love I love the big yen, but uh, it's okay. It's it's okay. It's, it'd be worth getting on blue certainly, you know, because it's going to look and sound tremendous. Uh, what else have we got? At number eight, Lawless, uh, taking six million. Um, I believe we discussed that last month. Yes? It's yeah, been, yeah. yeah. So we won't mention that again then. Uh, at number nine, Dread, film of the year. Absolutely top hole, I must say. Until Skyfall comes out, nothing's going to beat this movie. Uh, I, I adored it. So, Chris, if that's the case, why is it number nine and not number one? And another good point is, if you read the forums and the fact that it was number one, in the UK, when the weekend it came out, or the week it came out, wasn't it? It reached number one slot, did exceptionally well, got good reviews, massive word of mouth. You really thought America was going to take this to its heart. If you looked on the American forums, they couldn't wait for it. They were salivating over it. Oh, I can't wait to see Dread. And then when it finally came out, nobody went to see it. It took a million in its first weekend in the States, which is, yeah, in the States, is pretty pee poor, is it not? It costs 50 million to make and it's made 20 million worldwide, so we won't be seeing a, a Dread 2, I suspect. Well, I, I don't know. Unless it sells really well on. Um, I think on you'll Blue see Ray. a Dread 2, but my biggest, biggest fear about that is that they're going to go down the, the taken route 
you know, where all of a sudden you've dropped the certificate down, getting more people in there, sanitize it a bit more. Dread. The film. The, the reason why this film is so bloody great is the fact that it's bloody and it's great. <laughs> it's it's the dread of the comics. It's vicious. It's uber violent. The 3D is fantastic on it. And there we find the problem with this movie's distribution, of course. As we know, in this country, only a handful of cinemas showed it in 2D. Not everyone likes 3D. Not everyone can even see 3D. So if people in this country weren't prepared to make the effort to go and travel to a cinema, you know, maybe the next city or the next town that was showing a 2D presentation of it, imagine that in America where you had to go across a state line or get on a plane to go and see it in 2D. So the knock-on effect is there. Distribution, not very good. Uh, I applaud it's 3D. It was made in 3D, natively 3D. Looks great in it as well. But that 2D option should always have been there. You're trying to make money out of these things as well. You know, and if we want a trilogy, which we so want a trilogy out of Dread, they kind of seem to have shot themselves in the foot there, I think. Anyway. We'll, we'll come back to that later. We'll come back to that later. And number 10, Savages, Oliver Stone's new movie. Uh, that too is out on Blu-ray uh, in America on the 13th of November. Again, I haven't seen this, but I've seen lots and lots of posters for it on the bus stops and on the side of the buses. And I keep thinking, oh, Oliver Stone's new one. Should get, should go and see that. But I haven't as yet, so I don't know. Oliver Stone, I, I, I love him. Yeah, he's never boring. The the best, yeah, yeah, that's the best thing about him. Yeah. Um, he does keep your attention. Well, that's it. That's the top ten for the UK box office. What have we got in the US, Steve? Yeah, okay, number one at the UX box office uh, this weekend is Hotel, Tran- Hotel Transylvania, which is a kids' animated movie, obviously, uh, with a horror horror bent to it, uh, directed by... Gendy Tartakovsky, hang on, I can't say that. <laughs> Gendy Tartakovsky, who obviously is most famous for doing the uh, the micro series of Clone Wars, which was done between the movies, not the new animated one, but the sort of uh, hand drawn animated one. And he also did uh, Dexter's Dexter's Laboratory. So he's he's done quite a lot of um, TV animated work, but this is his first directorial debut um, in the cinema. And it's done very well. It's got a big uh, big boppers opening weekend. I think it was the largest opening weekend. Uh, in, in September ever, so uh, that's that's going to be good news for uh, for what was a pretty quiet month otherwise. Uh, I think it's got Adam Sanders voice in it and people like that. Yeah, he's the he's the Dracula character, but you got yeah. Steve. How do you say his name? Buscemi, 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 Buscemi. God, um, I really shouldn't be doing this at all. He he plays a, a werewolf dad who's getting harassed by his pups. So I kind of like the idea of that one. I've seen middling reviews of it though. Some people don't like it at all. So the humor is very sparse and hit and miss. But some people say, no, it's, it's, it's great. It's a good little homage to, you know, the horror characters that we know and love. A nice anarchic spin on it, which kids can watch, but there's adult humour as well. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty keen on that one. OK, at number two, we got Looper, uh, which has made 21 million so far. Uh, that was reviewed on the site a couple of days ago, uh, I think by Kaz, was it? And, he's he's uh, the only person working on this site at the moment, isn't he? <laughs> he always is. Um, I have not seen... I, I know what it's about. It's basically about uh, a guy who, who... They time travel in the future and they send people back in time and he murders them and disposes of the bodies and it's a way of, sort of avoiding the cops in the future where where um, sort of CSI has got to the point where they can detect the crimes very easily. Um, and then uh, Bruce Willis plays the older version of um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt Joseph Goodenham is the guy doing the killing. Uh, eventually, the, the deal is that they give you a certain amount of money, you live your high life, but then eventually you have to kill yourself when you get sent back. Bruce Willis gets sent back to be shot and, and escapes, and then there's lots of plot twists. And it, apparently, it, the, the structure of the plot and the time travel element is very well integrated, and it stays true to its own rules. 
which is always good with a time travel movie, I think. Um, and it sounds like a really interesting movie, and I've deliberately avoided finding out anything about it because I want to watch it completely. Um, you've avoided finding out anything about it, yet you've <laughs> just, just told us the whole it. plot line. I mean, that's in the trailer, but, uh, you know, I mean, as in terms of plot twists and that sort of stuff. Oh, so you I know, avoided Kaz's review like the plague. I, I'm uh, coming across like a right grumpy ass tonight because uh, Looper, yeah. I think it's it's hailed as a masterpiece by lots of very learned critics and people that I trust. But uh, I was never turned on by this movie for a couple of things. Joseph Gordon-Levitt looks ridiculous in stills as the supposedly younger Bruce Willis. He doesn't look like that at all. He never would have looked like that as a younger one. You know, he looks like he's got a sledgehammer whacked straight into his nose. He looks ridiculous. And the title, Looper, I'd be embarrassed Come on, can I have two tickets for Looper, please? Or buying the disc of it. Have you got a copy of Looper there? I just now I know, I know I'm just being really pedantic and stupid, but Looper, come on. I just hate I going to say, that, that that other crap time travel or sci-fi thing, jumper. Just get out of town. Looper. What the hell's a looper? All right, Chris. <laughs> well, it's directed by Ryan Johnson, who made Brothers Bloom and he also made uh, Brick, both of which I thought were really good films. So uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, number three, End of Watch, which is a cop drama with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, or was it Gyllenhaal? Um, <laughs> which I don't know much about, to be honest, and I could do with uh, cop dramas that bore, the te- bore me to tears. Trouble with the Curve <laughs> is at number four. I think someone else said, bore the off you. <laughs> <laughs> Trouble with the Curve is at number four. That's Clint Eastwood's new film. First film since In the Line of Fire that he hasn't directed himself in. So um, uh, that's a baseball drama, basically, about a, an old sc- talent scout and his relationship with his daughter. Uh, number he, five is House at the End of the... What, Chris? I was going to say, did, didn't Clint Eastwood um, only drop into this as a favour for someone? He wasn't meant to be in it at all, and then a, a scheduling window opened up, and he stepped in at the last minute to dim it. I could be wrong. Possibly. I mean, I, I'm surprised he's still acting. He's getting on a bit now. I mean, he's going to... Expendables 3, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Uh, number five is The House at the End of the Street, which is the Jennifer Lawrence film that uh, Chris mentioned, which also opened in the UK on the same weekend. Um, t- t- no reviews, by the way, for that one. That, that film didn't have any critic screenings, which is always a bad sign, I suspect. Mm. Uh, number six, Pitch Perfect, which is a comedy about an acapella singing group. Um, so one for ladies, <laughs> I think. A female acapella singing group. One oh, for I'm interested now. <laughs> uh, number seven is the Finding Nemo, the 3D reissue by Pixar who, as with the previous 3D reissues, have gone back to the original masters, back to the original uh, computer files, created a proper second-eye view of the, of the scene. So it's, it's a genuine 3D film, although it wasn't originally conceived in 3D. It should look amazing, because you've got all the underwater stuff floating in the, in, you know, it's all underwater with bits floating in the water. So that should really lend itself to 3D. That's, um, that's, so one, quite, film, that's one film that, that scares the living daily to me. <laughs> what, the sharks? No, fine, fine Nemo. It's the whole underwater thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why, I don't know why, but for some reason, it just makes me feel really claustrophobic being underwater. Like that. Wow! <laughs> Don't take up scuba diving then, Phil. If I was you. <laughs> wow, that's, that's that's quite unusual. That I think it's it's one of those films where I'd love to see it in three D. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I get lost in those visuals. It's so it's such a, a dreamy, lush. Um, well, I was going to say landscape, but you know, seascape. That I want to explore it. You want to see more and go deeper and deeper into it. It's just, I wish that the sea was really like that. I don't you know, want as, to go as, deeper as and da- deeper. As day as that. <laughs> I definitely don't want to go deeper and deeper. <laughs> um, it's done 36 million, actually, at the box office. So that's a pretty successful reissue for uh, for Pixar there. It's coming out on Blu-ray on the 4th of December, um, in the US at least. 
and it hasn't been on Blu-ray before, so it's a Blu-ray debut. Even, even if you don't want to watch it in 3D, you know, you'll get the 2D Blu-ray as well, which is the first time it's been available. So that's good news. In fact, it was a, it's the last Pixar movie that hadn't been released yet. So um, good news there. Number eight, Resident Evil Retribution. That's the fifth Resident Evil movie and the second one in 3D. Uh, I've got to admit, this is a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. I do quite like these movies. And I really enjoyed the one before, which was in 3D. So I'm quite looking forward to that. Um, I know everyone hates Paul P. Paul P. T. Anderson. There's there's two Paul Andersons. One does Resident Evil. <laughs> uh, and the next, number nine in the box office is The Master by Paul Thomas Anderson, who made Boogie Nights and Magnolia and uh, There Will Be Blood. And The Master is uh, the first film since since Kenneth Branagh made Hamlet. It's been shot entirely on 65 millimeter, uh, and it's about a uh, kind of a, a guru in the 50s. It's based apparently upon um, L. Ron Hubbard, who who created Scientology. So Scientology is not too happy about it, but um, it's uh, yeah, it looks like a quite interesting movie. It's got Philip Seymour Hoffman playing the the guru character, the master, okay. uh, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix in his first role since he went bonkers, um, <laughs> so or pretended to go bonkers, uh, and uh, yeah, it looks interesting. I mean. Paul Thomas Anderson's films are always interesting to watch. I, I, I um, love Paul Thomas Anderson's yeah. films. I really do. And yes, they're slow, they're really slow paced and all that. But the character development, the way he shoots stuff. I mean, the guy's got a fantastic eye for composition. And so I love his movies to bits. And Boogie Nights, one of my favourite movies. Magnolia. Um, I don't watch it that often because it's such a, a long slog to get through. But still, a fantastic movie. Um and unfortunately, I haven't seen There Will Be Blood yet. It's sitting on the to-watch list, I just haven't um, got around to it yet. So yeah, I think that's a bit of an acquired taste, There Will Be Blood. It's it's a great performance from um, Daniel Day-Lewis, but it is a, it's, it's, it's not the most accessible film, um, in my opinion. I found it difficult to watch. I like but it. But as you said, there's long sequences without any dialogue whatsoever. It's, 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 it's beautiful in terms it's, of its, it's, it's a mood piece, isn't composition. it? Yeah, it is, really is a mood piece. It's very... Kubrickian in that sense. I think. I mean, that's good. You've got to actually be in the mood to to get anything out of it. Uh, I've only seen it a couple of times, and I'm not I'm not for a long time, Hastings man. But yeah, I was quite a fan of that at the time. I'd love to see it in um, the Master in 65 millimeter if I can find it somewhere mm. in the UK. Yeah, it's actually showing yeah, it in 65 millimeter. I think mil. the only place you're going to find 65 mil is probably at the uh, uh, Bradford's Museum. I think they're the only place that still show 65 mil. Mm. So I think you got a long trip to Bradford for that. One. Yeah, I don't fancy that. Uh, although I don't know Where's about the BFI. Bradford? I don't know if the BFI um, still have it or not. I'm sure in London they must have a 65 millimeter projector somewhere. You would have thought they might have, but yeah, know, no, at, if, at the NFT you must have. Maybe it'll be interesting. I'd love to see 65 mil again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's number nine, and number ten is a film called Won't Back Down, which is a, a school drama starring, starring Jake's sister Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, which I know nothing about and I'm not interested in remotely, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Let's, That's the top 10 in the States. Let's not sit on Interesting the fence on how different it is to the UK top 10, even though most films open up at both sides of the pond at the same time. Almost, there's only one film, I think, that's actually in both lists. Oh, yeah, that weird house thing. It's the end of the street. <laughs> that nobody there's knows a, anything there's about. some good ones coming up, though. You've got, um, you got Frank and Weenie on the way, which I'm looking forward to. And uh, sadly, you got taken to 12A. What the... It's a 12A. I, I had a bleep in, please, Phil. What the... Were they thinking with that? You know, the first one, 15, and Brick Hard. Comes out on disc, even harder, more extreme. Fantastic. That's why everyone likes it. He, could, he You know, he carves his way through Paris. He kicks the you-know-what out of everybody who gets in his way. 
What's this version? And apparently it is sanitised of violence. I know you can get a fair get away with a fair bit in a 12A now. I mean, Darlight Rises, fair bit of violence in that. You had a, a hanging sequence as well. Quite a shocking, you know, very quick image, but it, you know, it, it hit you where it hurts. Um, this one, you know, apparently there's nothing left in it at all. Um, I read in one review that the most threatening scene was a guy being threatened by a teddy bear, you know, by a thug wielding, was it, was it wielding a teddy bear. Was it shot uh, sanitised or has it been sanitised for release? It's, been, it's not been sanitised by the censors. It's been, uh, it's been put out that way deliberately. But whether there is a harder version which has been you know, kept back for disc, who knows? Don't, don't know uh, is the honest answer for that. But has um, got to be. That, that's, well, you'd hope I mean, so, you, wouldn't you? But, you would assume that they will. You know, it's, it's a great way to make a bit of a splash when you release a disc to say, you know, like with the version you've never seen, you know, they, the they always go version. the version they would they wouldn't let you see. Well, who's exactly. they? Because you wouldn't let us see it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, so don't go to Flix to see it. Boycott. Oh no, you put Flix. me right off now, Chris. I was going to go and see it, and I won't bother. No, don't don't bother. <laughs> did, did you see the the new episode of Family Guy who spoofed the first movie? Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was brilliant. absolutely brilliant. <laughs> the I have no the particular end. skills. I will never find you. <laughs> 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 it was so funny. Yeah, and then when she meets uh, the guy at the end, that was just hilarious and stupid. Puts one through his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the uh, the box office both in the US and the UK. Let's move on uh, to a movie which was discussed in the the UK box office, and uh, I just know that the guys are gonna uh, go on and on uh, talking about this for some time. So me and Mark are gonna have a break. <laughs> Let's hand over to uh, Chris and Steve. Dread in 3D. It's the Chris and Steve show. Relentless blood and guts. Yeah, <laughs> Dread. Isn't it great, Steve? It, it is absolutely everything. Isn't it the I Dread you always wanted to see? My, own, my only complaint. Comics. It is dreadful. It's dreadful in the comics. In fact, even more so than dreadful in the comics. I mean, it's brutally violent in the extreme, which is brilliant. Uh, it's full of foul language. Uh, it's got a gritty, slightly realistic feel to it. I mean, it's set in Mega City, but you know, it's got a very gritty, realistic feel to it. My only complaint is, I wish they could have transposed the cityscape from the from the Stallone version into this version because it does look yeah. like it was shot in downtown Johannesburg, which is where it was shot. Well, it, <laughs> and, it was shot primarily in Cape Town, wasn't it? It was in Cape Town. Oh, yeah. somewhere. I knew it was somewhere in South Africa. You know, and it looks like you know some sort of South African. Slug. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, highly stylized look, but the, the problem is with with the section of the city that we do see. You couldn't really have a block war taking place there, could you? Because no. all the blocks are very regimented and there's a fair bit of distance between each one. It's kind of like when, it, when it, on the ground level, you see like news footage of riots taking place and you get the feeling of District 9 again, don't you? It's, it's well, got I kept thinking sort, of District 9, actually, yeah. when in the, the scenes when they were street level. It has that sweaty, gritty feel to it. You feel a bit clammy as you're watching it. But, of course, this, this film is the one where this is a day in the life of a judge you know, they haven't got the money to give us the, the Mega City one and the cursed death and, you know, all the mutants and aliens and weird stuff that Mega City one and, and Dread normally encounters. This was just to introduce everybody to the character of Dread himself. Ultra fascistic, uh, ultra right wing, uh, total anti hero, but God, we love him. Uh, doesn't take any prisoners, doesn't ask many questions. You've broken the law. I'm going to blow you away. It's as simple as that. And he does it quite frequently. Uh, never smiles as he does it, although he quite clearly gets off on it as well. Carl Urban portrays Dread. 
never takes the helmet off, doesn't commit the cardinal sin that Stallone did. We have discussed the Stallone version before, and I've reviewed it, and I'm a big fan of it as well. I think it's a great movie. It's just not a great dread story. Um, it looks, the piece, it looks fantastic. Um, and, and, you know, I, I loved it. You had the curse of death. You had the angel gang. There's a lot of things thrown in there. Okay, there's an ABC robot, but why the hell wouldn't there be one in there? In Mega City 1, you've got everything going, haven't you? Everything's in there. But So they come to this one. We won't make that mistake again. So Carl Urban fully agrees. I'm not taking the helmet off. I don't know how he kept his mouth to do that, you know, down with yeah. bloody grimace. <laughs> I've tried, but I've got big, fat, passionate lips. I can't do it at all. Um, but, it, you know, it must hurt to do that. Because no one's mouth naturally does that, do they? Unless they're the grumpiest sod <laughs> he, he, on he earth. Totally nailed, he totally nailed Dread uh, in terms of the look of the jawline, the mouth yeah. and the voice. Okay, uh, the, cost, the costume changes too. Uh, a lot of the, the, the pre-publicity photos that we saw, um, the helmet looked a bit too big. You've lost the big golden eagle. You've lost the big chain. But which Stallone wore those things. And it, it did look good, apart from the fact that the helmet was off for a lot of the time. But it did, it did look good. But you can't run about, you can't shoot, you can't Yeah, it's fight. not very practical, is no. it? <laughs> so, you know, you now go to, it doesn't appear to be that far in the future, although it quite clearly is. You've had, you know, nuclear war has irradiated most of the earth uh, and the cities are just divided into huge mega, mega cities and the judges have the, you know, well, I'm, sp- I'm speaking to the converted anyway here, aren't I? We all know these guys can just pretty much, they, they can dictate, you know, judge, jury, executioner, you've committed a crime, I'm, I will judge you as necessary which usually means blowing them away. And uh, so these guys, they've got body armor on. They're riding around on fantastic bikes, which is just Suzuki's. They're not the great big things with the tires like um, a bat pod from the comics because, you know, they're all wheeled. These look actually, great in comics. You can't build bikes like that in real life. They wouldn't yeah, turn they corners. Wouldn't, they wouldn't <laughs> turn corners. They wouldn't go anywhere. They'd be pretty lousy. They look great, you know, on a comic panel but or an animated movie, but they're not going to be any good in a live-action film. So, zipping in and out of traffic, the only external shot we get, action scene we get, near the start, uh, to introduce him, he's a big badass. You've got some perps in the back of a van who were taking this drug, slow-mo, and this is what the film's all about. There's a drug called slow-mo, which is, just seems to have been God-given for, for 3D um, imagery, because once you've imbibed of this particular drug, life around you slows down to a fraction of its speed, so you're really enjoying, like, just, you know, you're really kind of time, not time lapse, but what am I trying to say here, Steve? Help me out. Completely. It's like, it's like slow- everything basically goes into slow motion. So you It's slow motion. Slow motion. That's shots. why they call it slow-mo. <laughs> so these guys take this, and um, they've already committed crimes, and they're tooling off down the road. Dread goes straight after them on his lawmaster bike, zipping in and out of traffic. This is your only, you know, external action scene, and it's a doozy and introduces the fact that Dredd literally will not stop. He's relentless. Once these guys have, have killed an innocent person, which he witnesses, and so do we, as a poor bystander gets splattered all over the windscreen of this car, Dredd takes them out, and uh, with a variety of different bullets as well. I mean, he has this particular bullet when this guy holds a woman hostage. Oh, it's massive spoiler territory, but it's the start of the film, for God's sake. He has a woman held hostage. You know, don't come near me, judge. I'll blow it away. I'll do it, uh, in some weird accent. And Dredd just, just says, hot shot. And his, his DNA-empowered lawgiver um, knows what bullets to fire, hits the guy between the eyes and fries his brain inside his skull. Great effect. Very I good shoot. it's meant to be a gory. flare, isn't it? It's a flare he shoots into his mouth. Well, he says hot shot, doesn't he? I so know, I but I, I, I was assumed it was just a flare, wasn't it? <laughs> well, wouldn't it have blown his head apart? Because it's, it's, it penetrates his skull and then just melts it him like from a, the inside. It seems like a strange, slightly sadistic kind of... Uh... 
Like well, that's killing somebody. That's the kind of wealth Are the in? judges supposed to be more efficient? Well, remember the um, <laughs> what was the one in Stallone's one? Double whammy. Double whammy. Yeah. And his, his gun would speak back to him and say, "Like you mean double whammy." And it was it was a cool thing. Dread also had a proper block war taking place. Sorry, Stallone also had a proper block war taking place in his version. Anyway, the whole point of the story is slow mo's being you know flooding the streets. It's being taken. One woman which is uh, Lena Headey, who is absolutely fantastic in anything she's ever in. Uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, I think, except in this, because she's this volatile <laughs> ex-hooker who's been carved up one, carved one up too many times and exacted some rather horrific revenge on the people who persecuted her and has now become the drug's kingpin, kingpin of the city. She's called Mama, and she's distributing this drug Dread doesn't even go into this block to take her down, doesn't know she's even there. But what she's done with some rivals, she's had them skinned alive. She's on the 200th floor, this, this block, 200th floor, guys. Had them skinned alive, they ain't dead yet, pumps them full of slow-mo and pitches them off the balcony. They're rivals. They're gonna, so they're going to feel every second of that drop yeah, lasting it's a, it's, for minutes. It's the minute. central vestibule of the building, basically, the block is, is, yeah, is a yeah. massive 200-storey hole. So they drop them down the middle pole, then splattered on the floor. Dread they splat and, onto and, the camera, don't they? Actually, they do indeed. Yeah. And um, Dread has to take in, like, it seems like a cliche, the, a rookie partner, uh, which is, of course, from the comics. It's it's psychic Judge Anderson, um, who is played by Olivia Thelby. Real, yeah, uh, Thelby, yeah. And she's magnificent. Uh, doesn't wear a helmet because it interferes with their psychic abilities. Most judges don't last their first day on, on active duty. There's, there's a so, really good joke about that too when she goes, why aren't you wearing a helmet because it interferes with my psychic abilities? Don't you think a bullet might interfere with them more? <laughs> and the, the other bit in the lift where she said, they've got, they've got a, a guy under arrest and uh, she says, he's thinking about going for your gun. This is to Dread. And then Dread just looks at him and she goes, he's not thinking about it now. <laughs> Anyway, so the, the, I'll be up front here. The plot, once they get into the building to arrest a, a, a guy, they get locked in the building. And it, it, the plot is very, very similar to The Raid, which I've also seen. Um, yeah, but it, it was written before. It's a coincidence, isn't it? But no, it's a, it, was, it's it was written before it, mate. So, it's basically know. the same plot. But it doesn't harm it in the least, you know. No, no, I just, uh, I just think people need to know that there, there, there are big similarities in terms of the plot of Dread yeah. and the plot of The Raid. 3D really works as well. Yeah, it was shot native 3D, uh, and for once, I think it was it was used really creatively, particularly during the slow mo sequences. Um, that they really use the 3D quite creatively, and, and you've got sort of smoke billowing through the through the you know across the frame and um, water and things like this in, in slow motion, and it looks really good. Um, and so, you know, I think I think it's one of the rare, rare occasions where where they, they've integrated the, the 3D element into the narrative of the film quite yeah. effectively. Uh, so whilst I don't I don't agree with the idea of only releasing it almost exclusively in 3D in the UK, which was a big mistake, as Chris has already pointed out. Uh, at least as, as 3D films go, this one is genuinely quite a good one, um, both as a film and in 3D. Yeah, it deserves to be seen in 3D if you appreciate 3D. Uh, but the film is great anyway. It's even got a tremendously good soundtrack as well by what's his name? Let me just see what his name is. Paul Leonard Morgan. And it, it's it's industrial. It's synthesized. It's got thrash guitars in there. It's a kind of soundtrack I don't normally like, but it really fits this movie like a glove. Uh, it's you know heavily urbanized and dynamic, kinetic, and kind of upsetting at the same time. But I loved it. 
And it's the kind of film where you come out of it, you want to go straight back in and see it all over again. If you happen to like uber violence and, you know, gritty sci-fi, my God, we need more movies like this. It was a certificate 18 and unapologetically, it gave an adult audience what it wanted to see. It didn't wimp out. Okay, so that's Dread, Dread 3D. I think the guys liked it. Um, obviously, it's still at the cinema at the moment, so if you want to go and see it in 3D at the cinema, off you go and see it. If not, uh, have we any news on when the disc will be out? Not yet, no, no. but if I had hazard a guess, I'd say either Soon. December or January. <laughs> I, yeah, I think... it'll, it'll be quick <laughs> to try and recoup the costs. Yeah. Okay, well, it, it is the October podcast, uh, so obviously Halloween at the end of the month, so... Uh, so to kick off our little horror discussion, uh, Universal Monsters box set finally arrived yesterday with me. I don't know if you other guys got your sets. Got mine today. Yes. And I had a quick flick through most of the, the movies. Um, they ain't going to be pristine. <laughs> Let's just say that because they are over... Well, certainly well, Dracula, Dracula is... 81 years old. Yeah. I worked it out this afternoon. But, 81 years! Yeah, but I've got to say the clean-up job is, uh, is really nice. Um, lots of contrast in there. Blacks are nice and rich without uh, covering up any shadow detail. In fact, there's some sections of it where you will see more shadow detail. They've, they've worked um, magic on, on a lot of what they've done with the transfers. So from a technical point of view, uh, don't go in expecting Lawrence of Arabia, like we said in the last <laughs> podcast. But uh, they are really nicely cleaned up. Uh, all the pops and crackles have now gone from the soundtracks as well. There is still hiss there. You've got some hiss there, yeah. But, but it's yeah, but nowhere once near. Again, once Dracula. again, Dracula was being shot three years after their first talkie. A- exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, what exactly. do you expect? Got, got yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm just warning people, Steve, yeah. uh, in case they need expecting... to temper their, temper their expectations, I think. Yeah, so. I think a little bit. Uh, there is hiss there. You, you're guaranteed to have hiss there. If they try to get rid of the hiss, they would just compress it so much that you wouldn't get any dynamics into the soundtrack whatsoever. And I've got to say, it was quite a <laughs> dynamic... Uh, for the time anyway and, and the source material it came across really well uh, in a mono soundtrack um, and in terms of the extras as well there's a, a good documentary on the Dracula disc at least uh, it's only about 7 or 8 minutes long but it actually goes into the whole process that they used the, they used the wa- uh, wet gate a wet, a wet scan a uh, wet that? scan yeah, yeah wet gate um, scan yeah mm. I knew it was going to get there um, which obviously covers which is, what they, which is what they use on jewels. Yeah, as well. which obviously covers up a lot of the scratches and so on, and, and it saves a lot of time when it comes to the restoration process. Uh, and then they put it through the whole uh, Da Vinci side of things where they, they colour-corrected colour it, even though it is black and white, it's still colour. Uh, so they use that for the contrast and the black levels. I've got to say, it looks fantastic, Dracula. Uh, I had a quick look at the Spanish one. Spanish one actually looks a little bit better. It's qual- a better film qual- as well. Quality-wise, Um and you've got you've got some see-through tops on the ladies in that one as well. Yeah, and then through the rest of the set, uh, I only had a look at a couple of scenes of each movie just to check see what the the video presentation was like. And I've got to say, really quite impressed. And once you get to the 3D disc at the end, which we'll obviously come to in a minute, people will talk about. It. Uh, got to say as well that looked really really nice in terms of looking at its age and so on, and uh, lots of contrast, lots of detail as well, which I was really impressed with. Did you look at it in 3D or just in 2D? Uh, yeah, I had a quick look in 3D. And, uh, oh, it, it looked... I've been dying to see that in 3D. I think I think you're really going to enjoy it, Steve, because it, it does use a lot of negative parallax. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm going to watch it tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're going to enjoy that. There is a lot more of out-of-the-screen action, which is obviously, at the time it was released, uh, 
you know, it was the big buzz that, thing. That wasn't frowned upon back then. No, no. <laughs> but they knew they were a lot more creative. They knew how to use it in those days as well. I mean, obviously, with a film like that, where you got copious underwater photography, and it was the first to utilize 3D underwater photography as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it you know, the very atmospherically shot, even in 2D, it looks sublime. Lots of like you know, pushing through the air, the, the reeds and going through the air, the, the rocks and stuff like that. Uh, with the gill man hiding behind certain you know um, objects down there and looking dreamily up at um, God, she's gorgeous. Um, what's her name? <laughs> Joy Adams, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that should look fantastic in 3D, and I can't wait to eventually see it myself. You know the way they intended it to be. Yeah, it's a great set. My only complaint, possibly slight complaint, is the packaging is a little bit flimsy. Steve, well, which Steve. version did you get? Because I've got the coffin set. Oh, right, okay, well, we've got the normal one. Yeah, uh, the normal one, it's all right. It, actually, yeah, it's, like, it's like Jurassic Park box set. It's kind of that but, but, thin But Steve, cardboard, it was 36 quid. Yeah. yeah, I'm not moaning, I'm not moaning. <laughs> and the booklet, the it booklet's films. really good. Yeah. The booklet's really good. The booklet, the original art cards, the poster cards. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. nice, nice touch. Yeah. We so have it's to a, make... minor, a minor complaint, but it's a bit flimsy. Well, I, I got the limited edition coffin set, and it looks, it's here right now, right in front of me, and it, it looks absolutely gorgeous. It doesn't really fit on the shelf very well, but then again, a few horror fans out there will already have the Amicus box set and the uh, the Pete Walker box set where they were coffin shaped as well, and the the, the Blind Dead series. So you know, it's not not unusual for it, aren't they, Chris? When you die, it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you in each coffin. Too hot, too right. And yet, great little booklet there. There's a few mistakes in that booklet as well, and it's written by oh, what's it, Tom Weaver, who's a little bit. Well, as you're reading it, if you listen to his commentary tracks. You can hear, you can actually hear his voice as you're reading that, and it's very, very um, saccharine. It's very, you know, really praiseworthy, and he repeats himself a hell of a lot throughout of it. And there are some mistakes in there as well, which I'm a bit surprised about. But the art cards are great. We have one omission, which is rather annoying, but uh, from Dracula, yeah, the Steve Haberman um, commentary track is not there, which was on the original um, Monster Legacy box set. And obviously the special collector's edition, which came out a while ago, in the gorgeous uh, leather-style book binding. I don't know if any of you guys picked up those, but anyway, you're missing a commentary track. It's probably no great loss to you know a lot of people who've been waiting for this particular set and not bothered with the other ones. But you know, it's it's just annoying that once again the UK seems to lose something for what, no is apparent that on reason. The, uh, US disc then? It's on the US one, yeah. So God alone knows where that was, whether it was to incorporate, you know, some other foreign languages on there. I, I, I don't know. But it's gone anyway. And I've looked, I've checked. I haven't seen all the movies. You know, I, this is the, the box that I was probably waiting for most of all this year. Okay, Bond. Okay, Indiana Jones. Okay, Jaws was coming out. But I really, I, I so cherish these movies that this was the one. And of course, you'd see a huge difference or so you think, from how they've looked before to how they look now, with a glorious, proper restoration, universal, not mucking about and overdoing the DNR. Uh, and the first, I watched Dracula, both versions, and I watched The Wolfman. Wolfman is my all-time favourite of all of these universal classics. Not a great film, but I love it for the atmosphere, I love it for its poetry, I love it for its bizarre, freaky lyricism. Um, Dracula, straight away I noticed vast difference Flickering hairs were gone. The contrast wavering was was adjusted. The really great level of shadow, shadow detail, as Phil said before. So yeah, that was a dream come true. Looking at the, the Spanish version, yeah, that looked just as well, possibly even better, as Phil said. Um, and it's a better film. The only the only downside to the Spanish version is well, it's in Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> but you've not got Bela Lugosi. The guy who plays Dracula is very good, but he's not Bela Lugosi. 
It's a longer film. The scenes are it's better shot as well. It's actually scarier. You know, it, there's a lot more character development in it as well. It's a much better thought out, you know, structure. But anyway, you've got the two versions, so you can pick and mix yourself. But the Wolfman, when I put that on, I thought, hmm, because I've seen several different versions of this on disc, and, and I've reviewed them all as well uh, with a fine tooth comb. And at first, I thought, is that any different? What what extra am I seeing there? And then I began to do that thing where you start thinking that you're seeing things which, oh, I've never seen that person in the background before. Oh, look at that tree there. And I went back and looked at the uh, the last previous version, and the difference was actually amazing. <laughs> it's the great. You've got to remember the grain's been taken down a fair bit here, especially in the Wolfman. It looks a lot smoother. But before you go, oh dear, oh god, now it's all waxy. It doesn't look waxy at all. There's still plenty of texture, still plenty of definition there. But what you find is uh, a lot of the, the misty scenes and that fabulous, you know, backlot set of the misty moors. More definition on the trees in the background. The trees are more solid. The, de- the shadows there. You've got a perfect contrast of you know this ethereal, bizarre mist and uh, and the dark trees and of course the fairy wolfman himself prowling through them. Really, really good stuff. Sound-wise, again, there's a lot of things on that which I really hadn't thought of before. Like when um, his dad is speaking to. This is like the second night of him prowling around. Or oh, the third night, I think it is. And uh, he's speaking to Maliva, who's the uh, the gypsy woman. And this is Claude Rains talking to her. And he's he's bolted up his son. He's trapped him strapped him into a chair. You know, Lawrence, you will not be leaving his house tonight. You know, you're going to be okay. Don't worry. You're going to find it. It's all in your mind. And while he's talking to her, you hear this horrendous, like, crashing noise. And then a few gunshots, because they've got the team of hunters who are out there waiting for him as well. And that's always been there, but never to the degree that you hear it now. And I actually jumped when I heard this crashing noise off-camera, and the two characters re- react to it and look away, really added a hell of a lot more to it. And, you know, dialogue's perfectly clear. Fantastic uh, score by Frank Skinner. Not the cop, not the comedian Frank Skinner, <laughs> um, I hasten to add, but it's one, one, one of the best of the universal scores for these movies. The earlier ones use a lot of, uh, you know, classical music and very sparse original scoring. Very effective for their time. But when Frank Skinner got involved in these, uh, you, you got fully original work, and it was a, it's a great, aggressive, nasty, jarring, and also quite beautiful score that he does for the Wolfman. So sadly, you know, even though I've been looking forward to this immensely, and I wanted to watch them all, work intruded, and I've only actually seen those. <laughs> I wanted to have a look at the Phantom of the Opera because that's the only colour one that's in this set. Um, Technicolour, glorious Technicolour. Not the best incarnation of the Phantom, Lot, far too much singing, far too much melodrama, and not enough chills and thrills. But then again, that's the film that they set out to make. That's They wanted to tell it as a more romantic uh, pageant sort of um, version, and that's what they did. But I haven't checked that one out yet, so I, I don't know. And as I say, I'm itching to see um, Creature Bat Lagoon because that's the, the latest one, that's the most recent one that's in there. Uh, great filming, te- even 2D, the, the filming techniques were vastly different. But you had a lot as well. In, in the films in that period, the 50s, well, you know, they weren't that particularly highly stylized, and the sets weren't, weren't elaborately built. This was this took you out to a location, so you had lots of actual genuine location shots of this lagoon and of the underwater stuff. So it will not look as creepy or as uh, gothic as the earlier ones, but you know, it's got its own obvious charm. And the fact that it's you've got the 3D one for the first time ever. Heralding the arrival of uh, House of Wax, 
which will be on 3D, and some other early 3D um, sci-fi yeah. horror films. So and Dial M for Murder, which comes. Dial out. M for Murder, yeah, that's right. So you know, great. It's great these things are actually finally going to come out. So I'm hoping to, you know, at some point, adopt the 3D myself. <laughs> if, only, if, if only for this bloody film. It was quite interesting what you were saying there about the the soundtracks. Um, one thing I picked up on and I never heard it before uh, was when Renfield meets Dracula for the first time in the uh, in the the big cavernous hallway of of the castle. Um, and it's when they're walking up the stairs, and you can clearly hear that they're walking on plywood. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not solid stone. But I'd never heard that before. Uh, <laughs> but it was so obvious uh, watching it this time around. And um, the other thing was the, the wolf calls. Yeah. Um, it, that was so obviously a guy standing standing just to the right of the camera <laughs> doing that. But it has its charm, like the bat on, on the rope and stuff. And, as and well. the spider. Yeah, and the spider, yeah. But, oh, oh, dear God. I mean, it, it com- comical, but then you've got to put yourself in the mindset of a, of a 1930s audience and, uh, and, and take it in, basically. And, and if you're into cinema and you're into the history of cinema, you have to see these movies. Um, oh, you have to, yeah. I mean, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein are absolute landmark masterpieces. Uh, Dracula itself is very stage. It's based on the stage play version, so it's very yeah, creepy it looks anyway. Like a, it's shot like a stage play. Yeah, it's it? very stilted. It's got some iconic moments and iconic imagery, of course, and it's great. But you know, the, the real horrors began with you know, Frankenstein, which was so outlandish, so ghoulish. You had the you know the the, map, the castle on the mountains. You had streaks of lightning. You had the uh, electricity going on in the big laboratory. And Boris Karloff, fantastic performance from Boris Karloff, playing uh, a sympathetic monster, which is quite became Universal's kind of trademark in a way. Yeah, and, and none more so than than Larry Tapol, old Larry Talbot, Lon Chaney yeah. Jr. as the Wolfman. In fact, he gets everyone like likes to 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 rip on um, Lon Chaney because he wasn't the greatest actor. He was fantastic in a was it the Grapes of Wrath. Where he played um, Lenny uh, of Mice and Men, sorry. Where he played Lenny, and he was awesome in that. He was great in um, High Noon as well. But if you look at it, the script isn't great for any of the Wolfman movies. But he he really pours his heart, pours <laughs> his heart and soul into it, and you can see that the torment, the tragedy from even when he did Abbott and Costello and Meet Frankenstein, which brought obviously Bela Lugosi came back in. Uh, and yeah, but, but Karloff wasn't in it. It was Glenn Strange playing the monster. But it was like kind of the final swan song of the uh, the monster mashes. And it's not. It's a great comedy, and it's a it's a great little horror film because they take the horror element seriously. But once again, Lon Chaney really, really is giving it loads as poor old tormented Larry Talbot. And even the, the creaky monster mashes of uh, House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein, which are. I'm a big fan, but they're tawdry, they're terrible, you know, and I kind of, I don't enjoy watching them, but I'll watch them just for the Wolfman, and once again, I think he excels in those roles. So yeah, you know, Universal brought out the idea of the sympathetic monster, and the absolute masterpiece of all these, massively critically recognised by all and sundry, is Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, so that's the Universal Monsters box set. Uh, I think that's a recommendation from all of us uh, yeah, to go and buy. I mean, it's 36 quid, eight, eight classics in there. And, of course, uh, the, the creature from the lagoon is in 3D. And that's about all we have time for for this evening's Movies Podcast. My thanks to Chris, Mark, who was here, and uh, Steve. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers, Phil. Been fun. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, and Mark. Who's that? <laughs> oh, Chris, sorry. I, I'd thanks, forgotten thanks what your voice Mark. sounded like. <laughs> That's two hours you're not going to get back.
don't forget we publish podcasts every week of the month so the movies one you're listening to it it goes out on the 7th every month games podcast on the 14th 21st is a home cinema podcast and on the 28th is a podcast extra this is phil hinton saying thanks for listening we'll catch you again next month the av podcast was presented by phil hinton original music by andrew bassett and richard cosgrove the av podcast was mixed and produced by phil hinton and the senior producer was Stuart wright all content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only the av podcast is copyright m2m limited